0: Good morning, everybody. Well, We're going through a series in the Gospel of John called Reclaiming Life. And this morning, we're going to look at one of the more famous miracles that Jesus performed. The feeding of the 5,000 with a little boy's lunch. And you'll find it in John chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. If you're using a pew Bible, page 891. Everyone... Uh, Open your Bibles, because we're not going to have it on PowerPoint. We're going to read the, the whole story. And it's just a little bit too much to put up on the slide. But of all the miracles Jesus did, this one may be the most special. Does anybody know why? Anybody got uh, something? What do you think? Why might this be the most special miracle that Jesus did. Any ideas? Okay. Well, (laughs) here's what I think. Because of all the miracles Jesus did, this is the only one that is mentioned in all four Gospels. Apparently, this miracle was so special that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John said, I have to have this in my gospel. I've got to make sure that this is included in the gospel. Besides the resurrection, it is the only miracle found in all four accounts. And it was probably witnessed by more people than any other miracle. And I believe that what Jesus did in this miracle, Jesus wants to do in our lives. What Jesus did then, He wants to do now. Because everyone here this morning has something that God can do miraculous things with. You have something that God can use in a mighty way for His glory. Now, let's pick up the story in John chapter 6. But before we do, we'll pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We ask that it would speak to us this morning. We ask that You would open the Scriptures to us. Give us grace to hear what you have to say. Give us grace to apply it to our life and put it into practice. Now, we ask that your Holy Spirit would guide and direct and lead this time. I ask that you would move in hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, John chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on a mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. And lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him. For he himself knew what he would do. And Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? And Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down about five thousand in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when He had given thanks, He distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, He told His disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. Wow. Amazing all the gospel writers make a point of telling us that there were 12 baskets of leftovers. Think of it. This was an all-you-can-eat fish fry. This was a seafood buffet, a feast. This wasn't just a snack that tied the people over. They feasted until they were stuffed. Can you relate? You ever go on to an all-you-can-eat buffet and you come out thinking, why did I eat all of that? This was a picture of abundance. Twelve baskets left over. Jesus provided overflowing food and abundance. Now, this was more than just an amazing miracle. As we've been learning, it was a sign. A sign that Jesus really is who He claimed to be, the Son of the living God. And that He really is the bread of life. A claim that He'll make later in this chapter. And that he can satisfy not only our physical hunger, but more importantly, our spiritual hunger. And that he came to give us life, abundant life, life to the full, a life that's rich, a life full of meaning and purpose and joy. So, this morning, how do we experience this abundant life that Jesus promised? How do we experience the blessing of God using us for his glory as he did with the little boy who gave his lunch? Well, there are at least three things that we learn from this story. Three things that you and I must practice if we're to experience the blessings of God. First, we must look up. We have to look up. We have to look up to God. Now, the disciples looked from side to side. They looked all around. They looked at their resources. They looked at themselves. They looked at their abilities. But they didn't look up to God. And God was there. Jesus was there. He was right there. And Hebrews 12, 2 says, We're to look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Now, to get a complete picture of what happened that day, we have to read all four gospel accounts. Because when we put Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John together, we get the whole story, the complete picture. And if we put it in order, the story goes something like this. Matthew tells us it's evening. It's getting late. The sun is setting. Stomachs are growling. A huge crowd of people are hungry. Now, how big is this crowd? Well, if you look uh, back down to verse 10, John says about 5,000 men. But if you go to Matthew, Matthew tells us 5,000 men besides the women and the children. Now if you throw in the women and the children biblical scholars estimate this crowd was probably in excess of 20,000 people. And then Jesus asks Philip a question. It was a question to test him. He says, "Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat?" And Philip looks out over the huge crowd. He gets out his calculator. He does some figuring. And he says, 200 denarii I wouldn't feed this crowd. Now, how much money is that? Well, here's how the NIV puts it. It has Philip saying, eight months wages wouldn't buy enough bread for each one to even have a bite. And so then the 12 come to Jesus and say, Lord, it's getting late. Send the crowd away so they can find food and lodging because we're in a remote place here. But Jesus says, no, don't send them away. You give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. He's testing them. Now, can you hear the disciples? What? Lord, we can't feed this crowd. We don't have that kind of money. And then Jesus says, well, go see how much food you have. So they go, and Andrew comes back, and he says, Lord, and if I may paraphrase, he kind of says something like this. He says, Lord, I've got good news, and I've got bad news. Uh, There's a little boy here. He's got a couple small fish, and he's got five small barley loaves, but I mean, what good is that? Look at the crowd. But Jesus says, bring me the food and have the people sit down. So then Jesus, he took the fish and the loaves, and Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell us Jesus looked up. He looked up and he gave thanks. Instead of focusing on what they didn't have, Jesus gave thanks for what they did have. What an example for you and I. Do we grumble about what we don't have, or do we give thanks to God for what we do have? The disciples counted their money. They looked at their resources. They looked down and they said, Lord, we can't do this. We don't have enough money. Lord, we don't have enough food. Lord, we don't have what it takes to to do what you're asking us to do. But the disciples didn't look up to God. You know, I haven't tested this, but I've been told that you can take a buzzard. And you can put him in a pen with no, no top on it. A pen that's about five or six feet in diameter. And that buzzard, I've been told, will pace back and forth. He'll look to the left. He'll look to the right. He'll look all around. He'll look down, but he won't look up. And all he has to do, there's no roof on the pen. All he has to do is just flap his wings. He can fly right out. But when he was young, he learned to fly by, taking a, by, by running like as, as a takeoff. And so he doesn't have enough room to run, so he never looks up. But now that he's older, his wings are strong enough, all he has to do is flap his wings he'd fly right out. I've heard you can do the same thing with a bumblebee. You can put a bumblebee in a jar, no lid on the top, and that bumblebee, he'll look to the left, he'll look to the right, he'll look all around, he'll look down. But that dumb bee will die in that stupid jar because he won't look up. All he has to do is look up and fly out. And how many times are we like that buzzard and we're like that bee because we don't take the time to really look up to God in prayer. We don't really take the time to cry out to God and spend time in prayer. Listen, what do we do when we're faced with what seems to be an impossible task? A difficult situation. A decision must be made where there doesn't seem to be a solution. There doesn't seem to be any way out. And instead of looking up to God, we look at what we don't have. We look at ourselves. We look at all of our inadequacies, the lack of our resources. And we look from side to side and all around looking for a solution. But we don't look up to God. And in the busyness of life, we don't take the time to look up and pray and cry out to God because we think we have to do something now. we got to do it right now. But listen. When we take the time to pray, and I mean really pray, we are doing something. We're doing the first thing. We're doing the most important thing. If we want to experience God's blessings in abundance, if we want to see Him do great things through us and in us, we must look up to Him, to the God who can do all things and realize that He's the source of all we need and that He can do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to His power that is at work within us. And then secondly, if we're to experience the abundant life Jesus promised, we not only need to look up, but we need to look up to God and have faith. We have to have faith in God. I heard about a man who fell off a cliff, but he managed on the way down to grab a tree limb. And he was hanging there, and he looked up and he said, Is there anyone up there? And there was a voice that came down and said, Yes, I am here. I am the Lord. Do you believe in me? And the man said, Yes, Lord. I believe, I really believe, but I can't hang on much longer. The Lord said, Well, that's okay. If you really believe, just trust me. I will save you. Have faith in me. Just let go of the limb. Just let go of the limb and trust me. The man looked down. He looked back up. Said, is there anyone else up there? Well, the point is, it's not just enough to look up to God. We have to have faith in God. We have to trust Him. Jesus said, have faith in God, and that's a command. Now, we could read this story and just read through it and think, you know, hey, huge crowd, couple fish, few loaves. The problem is not enough food. But the problem wasn't a lack of food, the problem was a lack of faith. Listen, if Jesus can change water to wine, calm a storm, heal a man who had been paralyzed for 38 years, raise the dead, then he can feed 20,000 people without breaking a sweat. Think of all the disciples had seen Jesus do. I'm convinced the heart of Jesus must have been grieved. Because what bothered Jesus was not the lack of food. What bothered Jesus was the lack of faith. A lack of food can't stop God. A lack of resources can't stop God. A lack of ability or talent can't stop God. A lack of eloquence can't stop God. But a lack of faith can shut God down. You remember when Jesus went to his hometown and the Bible says he could not do any miracles there. Except for just lay his hands on a few sick people, it says, and heal them. But he could not do any miracles there. Why? It was because of their unbelief. And the scripture says Jesus was amazed at their lack of faith. Wouldn't it be sad if Jesus was amazed at our lack of faith? Now here's where the little boy shines. Besides Jesus, he's the star of this miracle. He has faith. When Jesus asks the disciples, how much food do you have? And they say, all we have is this little boy's lunch. And Jesus says, bring it to me. Somehow the little boy seems to get it. He realizes this is not just a request. This is a test. And where the disciples fail with a triple F, he gets an A++. Because he has faith in Jesus. He trusts Jesus. He says, Jesus, you want my lunch? You want my lunch, Jesus? You can have my lunch. I trust you. Now think about it. This was all the food he had. And it's past dinner time and he's got to be hungry. It's not like there's a McDonald's across the street. There's no Wendy's. There's no Kroger's. There's not even an Aldi's. It took faith to give his lunch. And can you imagine how pleased Jesus was with this boy, with his childlike faith? Because nothing pleases God any more than faith expressing itself through love. Faith pleases God because faith is foundational. We can't, without faith, we can't know God. Without faith, no one has their sins forgiven. Without faith, no one goes to heaven. Without faith, our prayers are not answered. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And without faith, we'll never experience the abundant life that Jesus offers. Now, the boy's faith was seen by what he did. Because faith is more than just saying we believe. Faith implies action. The boy gave his lunch. He gave his lunch. James says, I will show you my faith by what I do. Abraham's faith was made complete by what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar. Faith is seen by what we do. Faith is seen when we pray. I'm not just talking about throwing up a desperate plea to God. But I'm talking about when we pray and we take the time to get alone with God and we pray and we pour out our heart to Him and we persist in prayer and we don't give up in prayer, God sees our faith. Faith is seen when we read the Bible. But not only read it, but when we apply it to our life, when we obey it and put it into practice, God sees our faith. Faith is seen when we witness When we share our story. Faith is seen when we take a stand for Christ. Faith is seen when we serve. Faith is seen when we give. But you know what's amazing to me? How could this kid have more faith and trust in Jesus than the 12 men who had seen Him do so much and who had been with Him for so long? And Why is it that sometimes we who have known the Lord for years and years and years seem to have Less excitement about Him and trust Him less than someone who's just gotten saved. Listen, we must never lose our first love. We must never lose our childlike faith. To please God, to experience abundant life, we must have faith in God. And then thirdly, to experience the abundance of the leftovers, we must give to God what we have. We must give to God what we have. There will come a time when Jesus will ask us for something. He will ask you for something. He will ask you for something. Jesus asked the disciples to feed the crowd. And then he asked for the little boy's lunch. Now think about it. Did Jesus really need the boy's lunch to feed the crowd? No. Of course not. He created the world. He could have looked at the rocks and said, bread, and every rock would have turned to bread. He could have said to the fish in the sea, jump, and every fish would have jumped out of the sea right where the people were at. So here's the question. If he didn't need the boy's lunch, why did he ask for it? Listen, when Jesus asks us for something, it's not because He needs it. When He asks us for something, It's because we need to give it so that we will learn to trust Him. And then He takes what we give Him and He uses it. Now, because the disciples failed to look up to God with faith, they came up with all kinds of reasons why they couldn't do what Jesus asked them to do. And you know, we all do it. How many times do we tell God why we can't do what He asks us to do? Witness? Share my story? Lord, you want me to witness? You know, Lord, I'm shy. What if I don't know what to say? What if they ask me a question and and I don't know how to answer it? Have a quiet time? I mean, read the Bible daily, pray daily, take... Lord, you know how busy I am. I'm so busy, I I just don't have the time. Tithe? Lord, I can't even pay my bills. But God doesn't ask us to tithe because He needs our money. He's not up in heaven looking at the budget going, Oh, no, what are we going to do? We need to give our money so we'll learn to trust Him. So that we'll learn that He's the source of all we have and He's the source of all we need. Now listen, when it comes to all these things, we may not have much to give to God but that's okay. He doesn't need much. All he needs is just a little. And when we give him the little we have, he can use it for his glory in ways far beyond our imagination. And you know what? God loves to use little things. It's not that he can't use big things. He uses big things. But he loves to use little things. You know why? Because when God uses little things, he gets the greatest glory. Jesus used a little lunch that a little boy had to feed thousands and thousands and thousands of people. Now you might be thinking, well look, he had two fish and five loaves. Doesn't sound like a little lunch to me. But listen, scholars tell us that that word for fish and loaves, really, it would be better translated small fish. These weren't bass or catfish. These were more like sardines. He had two little sardines. And loaves, not like the loaves you get in the grocery store. A big loaf of bread. No, this would be translated better as wafers. More like a Ritz cracker. The NIV actually says they were small fish. Small, five small barley loaves. Other translations say small as well, because that's really the meaning here. Listen, this was not just the lunch of a little boy. This was the lunch of a poor boy. A small lunch. Now, if you're here this morning and you're like me, you might be saying, Lord, I really don't have much to give to you. Many times I've stood before the Lord and I said, Lord, I feel like all I've got is a half a minnow and a cracker. Lord, that's all I got. And many times I've said to the Lord, I said, Lord, you know I'm not eloquent. You know, Lord, I'm slow of speech. Lord, you know I'm dull. I know I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, especially when I compare myself to others. But I've found when I step out in faith and I just give God what I have, He can use it. And He can use what you have. Because you might be here this morning, you might be thinking, well, I didn't go to seminary. I didn't go to college. I didn't even graduate from high school. Or I don't know much about the Bible. And I can't sing, and I can't play a musical instrument, and I can't do this, and I can't do that. But listen, and don't forget this. If you forget everything else this morning, don't forget this. Some of the greatest things God ever did in the Bible, He did it using little things. The biggest, strongest warrior to ever go against Israel was Goliath. Remember Goliath? Nine feet tall. The point of his spear weighed 15 pounds. What did God use to defeat him? The Israelite army? No, when the Israelite army saw him, they ran. God used David, a shepherd boy with a sling and a stone. I mean, Lord, how about a a catapult to hurl a boulder at him? How about a cannon? No, God says, I'm going to use a shepherd boy with a slingshot because that will give me the greatest glory. When Israel was being oppressed by the Midianites, God chose Gideon to rescue them. And he said to him, Go in the strength you have and save Israel from the Midianites. In other words, Gideon, just give me the strength you have. It may not be much, but just give me what you have. Well, how did Gideon respond? He said, But Lord, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my family. But God said, Gideon, I'll be with you. I'll be with you, Gideon, but your army is too big. I don't want Israel to boast that she saved herself. So God shaved Israel's army down from 32,000 men to 10,000 men. The Lord said, Gideon, you still got too many men. And then God whittled the army down to 300 men. And God used Gideon with his little army to defeat a Midianite army of thousands and thousands and thousands. God loves to use little things. But not only little things, lowly things. Lowly things. God says, I'm going to bring my son into the world, but I'm not going to use a queen and a palace I'm going to use a poor teenage girl and my son will be born in a stable, laid in a major, and will go to a cross and die a criminal's death for the sins of the world. The Apostle Paul gave the Corinthians this reminder in 1 Corinthians one twenty-six. He said, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. God loves to use little things and lowly things. And God loves to use these little things that we give Him. Do you know why? Because it requires our greater faith and gives God the greatest glory. Now, I want you to think about what made the little boy's lunch so valuable. I heard an illustration from James Merritt on how to determine the value of something. Here's the illustration he gave He said, Go out and buy an NFL football. Cost about $50. And bring it next Sunday and put it in my hand. And you know what that football's worth? About $50. Unless I go out and throw it around in the parking lot and scuff it up. it be worth it less. But take the same football and put it in Peyton Manning's hand. And now you've got a multi-million dollar football. Now what changed the value? Same football. What changed the value was whose hands it was in. What made the little boy's lunch so valuable was not how big or how small it was. It was what he did with it that made it valuable. He gave it to Jesus. He put it in God's hands. Listen, the only thing we have in our possession right now that has any value whatsoever is what we give to God. Everything else is worthless. So if we hoard our money, If we hoard our car, if we hoard our possessions, if we hoard our time, we hoard our talents or anything else that God has given given us, we have just drained it of all of its value. But if we say, Lord, all I have is yours, and you use it however you want, then it becomes valuable and it has value for all eternity. You know, what if that little boy had kept his lunch? What if he'd have said, this is my lunch. It's all the food I got. Well, what if he'd have done this? What if he said, hey, Jesus, tell you what. I'll give you a fish. I'll keep a fish. Here, I'll give you a couple of loaves. I'll keep a couple loaves. I wonder what Jesus would have said. I wonder if he'd have said, no, that's okay. You keep it. Maybe not. Maybe he'd have taken that and used it. I don't know. But here's what I do know. Jesus doesn't want half our life. He wants our whole life. He wants everything. You know, that boy said, Jesus, you want my lunch? You can have it. Jesus, you can have it all. What's the lesson? If we want to experience the abundant life Jesus promises, we have to give Him everything. If we want God to use us for His glory, if we want all that God has for us, if we want to experience the abundance of the leftovers, the blessing of the leftovers, then here's what I believe God is saying to us this morning. He's saying, don't hide your lunch. Don't Hold your lunch don't hoard your lunch because here's something I've learned in life the only thing that gives life meaning and the only thing that gives life purpose and the only thing that gives life value is what we give to Jesus everything else is meaningless every single thing That's why the lesson from this miracle is so important. You know, if the boy had kept his lunch, he'd have had something to eat. But he'd have missed the greatest blessing of his life. Why do you think this miracle is in all four Gospels? And why do they all stress that there were 12 baskets of leftovers? That's the one detail every one of them bring out. Why? Here's what I think. When we finally look up to God... And we take a step of faith. And we walk across the line and say, Lord, I'm giving you control of everything I have. I'm giving you control of my whole life and all that I am. All I have is yours. I give it all to you. I make you Lord of my whole life. That's when we experience the abundant life Jesus promised. And that's when we experience God using us for His glory. Amen. Father, we thank You for Your Word, for the truth of Your Word. Might it speak to us, Lord. Might it penetrate our heart. Father, give us grace to hear what You have to say to us and then grace to apply what You show us. Grace to obey what You show us. Lord, we want to be people Who have all, Lord, we want to give you all that we have that we might experience all that you have for us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to continue to worship together with a couple of songs. Well, we haven't finished the story. If we look at verse 14, we have that PowerPoint. John chapter 6, verse 14, it says, When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. And perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Why? Because Jesus didn't come to be an earthly king. He did. Someday he'll come back again. And He'll be King Jesus. He'll be King of kings and Lord of lords. But the first time He came, He came into the world to save sinners. He came to go to the cross where He bled and He died for you and me, for our sins, to pay the penalty for our sins. And He rose from the dead and He offers us forgiveness. He offers us life, abundant life, a relationship with Him, eternal life, a home in heaven. But we must receive Him. We must accept what He did for us. And I want to ask you this morning, have you received Him? Are you sure that Jesus lives in your heart? Are you sure you know Him? Are you sure your sins are forgiven? Are you sure that if you died today, you'd go to heaven? Well, if you're not sure, you can make sure. Here, just before this next song, you could receive Him right now. How do you do that? You do it through prayer. Right now, let's everyone just close their eyes and bow their head. And if you're here this morning and you're not sure that you've ever received Christ, and you can't, you can't say, I know for sure my sins are forgiven. I know I'm going to heaven. You want to make sure. And you can just pray and say, God, forgive me. Forgive me of my sins. Help me, Lord, to turn from my sin. Jesus, I believe You died for me, for my sin. And I want You to come into my heart, into my life. I want to give my whole life to You. And I want to know that my sin's forgiven. I want to know I'm going to heaven. I want to have a relationship with you. Just in these next few moments, if that's the desire of your heart, just pray and express that to God. Because He says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you ask Jesus to come into your heart, He will. If you ask Him to forgive you, He will. If you ask Him to save you, He will.